Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Certified Religious Transition and Trauma Recovery Coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello and welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. This is a little bit scary. This is the first time that I have recorded a podcast on video when it's just been me and I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. Looking at myself right here in my computer, being able to see my facial expressions, hoping beyond all hope that I don't do something weird, (laughs) like pick my nose or something. But I'm so excited because we're going to be doing these video recordings as often as is possible, as long as my kids are not running around the house, um, as long as I have free time. So in the summer, it might get a little bit more sketchy and definitely over spring break next week. But for right now, what we're going to do is I'm going to be video recording as often as possible so that we can put these up on YouTube as well, because it makes it more accessible for people. The more channels that we have, the more places that we have where people can view things And as always, feel free to, you know, catch these podcasts on your favorite podcast directory. I do have a website now. It is emancipateyourmind.org. You can go and look there through all of the different episodes and you can make a donation there if you would like in order to continue to support the podcast and all of the research that goes into the podcast and all of the time and the energy that goes into this to allow us to keep going and to bring you the content that you guys are saying is really helping you to understand your religious trauma, work through it, and start to move forward and live a healthy life. I've had a couple of you reach out and say, I feel really guilty. I feel like I'm, you know, getting all of this free content. Do not feel guilty. I love putting this together. I love bringing this to the public. This is fun for me. Researching is fun for me. I would be doing this whether I was podcasting or not. And honestly, I think I'd be podcasting just as a way to express all of these ideas, make them make sense for myself, and hopefully help someone in the world, right? Make it a little bit of a better place. So just know that if you're enjoying the free content, if that's something that you love, please keep listening. I love hearing from you. Keep talking to me on social media. Keep sending me emails. I love all of that. And if you are wanting to support the podcast, please go to emancipateyourmind.org and click on the donate button that is right there with all of the episodes. Um, And you can make as big or as small of a donation as you would like. It is tax deductible. If you're in the United States, it is a tax deductible donation. So it goes to the Mormon discussions umbrella that we were talking about. Um, and it supports me. It supports my podcast and the ability for me to continue to research and spend more of my time researching and disseminating information instead of um, having to do other things to make money to support myself and doing this on the side. So it allows me to spend more time here with you, more time researching, bringing you as much great content as I possibly can. So um, if that's something that you would like to do, that would be super helpful to me. And I would love that. But if not, do not feel guilty. This is free content for a reason. 
I want this content out in the world because when we are able to understand our past, when we're able to allow ourselves to release trauma that happened in our past, and when we're able to hold ourselves in the present and start to build trust with ourselves and self-acceptance, and we know who we are, we make the world a better place, one person at a time. As I get to know myself, I'm a lot less judgmental of other people, much more accepting of other people, and that changes everyone in my sphere of influence. And it does the same for you as well. So healing isn't just about us. It's about everyone that we come in contact with. And this is my part. This is what I want to do to try to make the world just that much better, that much safer, and that much more loving. So today, our episode is actually something I needed to hear as well. We have had so much going on in the world, in our personal lives over the last two years. And we talked about mental health with Sharice from The Existential Gender last week. And I got so many questions from many of you saying, how do I take care of my mental health in the middle of going through a pandemic, through job loss, through the outbreak of war going on in Ukraine? How do I deal with racism and with misogyny and with homophobia? There's so much going on. Climate crisis. My kids, their schedule is uncertain. And, you know, we've had a lot of teacher turnover going on at our schools. There are so many things going on. Gas prices are going up. Like I heard so many things from many of you in our conversations this past week. And I've been feeling some of that too. I've been feeling this weight, not just this week, not just this month, but for the past couple of years, the uncertainty of what's happening in the world. And on top of just the normal daily stress of being a mom, having a business, those are stressful things enough, right? Putting food on the table, making enough money to survive, paying your rent, Those are normal stresses that we deal with regularly, but then you add into it the uncertainty of what's going to happen with the pandemic. Are they going to close down certain businesses? Will I have to meet certain guidelines? Um, You know, will they close down the schools? There's a lot of those things that kind of kept us uncertain, and we've been living in this place of uncertainty for a couple of years. We've had crazy forest fires going on here in the West Coast of the United States, not knowing when we can travel to see family, not knowing um, when, what the air quality is going to be like, or what our allergies are going to do, or if we're going to get sick. There's so many things that are going on. And I'm hearing from a lot of people, and I've been feeling this myself too, with what does the war in Ukraine mean for, you know, our future? What does it mean for, you know, six months from now, whenever I go on vacation, what does it mean for Christmas vacation, what does it mean for food supply? What does it mean for gas prices and all of those things? And that can create a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear because there's a lot of uncertainty involved with that. And so if you've been feeling a lot of fear, anxiety, uncertainty, or grief, and if that's been really taking a toll on your mental health, then that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to walk you through some of the best guidelines that I have for holding yourself in continued stress and overwhelm. 
And my husband, actually, I was just talking to him before I started recording. It's funny, as I was talking about this, because this is something I'm going through as well, I was feeling a little bit of overwhelm about recording this podcast on overwhelm, simply because I don't have all the answers. You know that. And I am really honest about that. I don't have all the answers. And I'm still navigating this myself. I'm still trying to figure out what works best for me. And honestly, there are some times when I felt anxious in the past that certain things have worked better for me than they are now. And so I'm having to re-navigate and try new things on. So just know this isn't like a one and done thing where you'll be like, these are the guidelines. This is what I do in order to decrease my anxiety. And it'll be smooth sailing after this. You're going to grow and evolve and you're going to be involved in different circumstances that will be stressful occasionally or overwhelming. And you may find that things that work for you now might not work for you as well in the future. And you might have to try new things on and brainstorm a little bit more. So I'm in the middle of brainstorming ways to deal with what feels like continuous and ongoing CPTSD. So not only are we having to deconstruct childhood trauma that came from high demand religion or from high demand families. So not only are we doing that in the middle of a pandemic, we're having ongoing societal trauma right now. There is ongoing crisis and it's affecting us. And so just know that you're not alone if you're feeling that. I'm feeling it too. Everyone I talk to is feeling it too. And we're all navigating this together. So don't hesitate to reach out if you need support or just someone to bounce ideas off of. Um, I really enjoy being able to be there for as many of you as possible. As our listenership is growing because it is quadrupled in the last month, which is insane to me and so exciting. But um, as our listenership is growing, there's one of me and like 2,500 of you, which just thrills me. And I love hearing from all of you. So don't stop reaching out, but it may take me a little bit of extra time to get to you because there's one of me, but no, like you are never a burden. You're never taking up too much space. You are, your thoughts are welcome, whether you're disagreeing with me or you're agreeing with me, or you're bringing up things I haven't thought about, or you're making recommendations for the podcast. All of it is welcome. I love hearing your stories. I will get to all of them. I um, appreciate your patience with that. But without further ado, let's delve into what we can do when we're feeling consistent, persistent, overwhelm, anxiety, fear, or grief. Now, today I'm going to be drawing from information that comes from Dr. Stuart Brown and Madeline Eberl. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. It's E B E R L E. So Madeline Eberl and Dr. Stuart Brown, they are researchers on play, which actually is going to come into play today. Come into play. Listen to that. And then I'm also going to be drawing from research by Ellen Henriksen, who is in Boston Center for Anxiety and Related Disorders. So we're going to be drawing from a lot of their research and um, also my own personal experience, as well as the experience of some of my clients. And we'll hopefully get you some ideas where you can start brainstorming and trying things on and find out what works for you. So when we are overwhelmed, a lot of times what happens is our thoughts start spinning. So we're thinking these kind of involuntary 
intrusive thoughts and it feels like our mind is on a hamster wheel. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. My guess is that you have, but when really big worrisome things are happening or just lots of little small worrisome things are happening, our brains can start spinning and our brain starts spinning because we're afraid we feel anxious. Maybe we feel powerless or helpless. Um, we're afraid of the future. We might be grieving the past and we've seen all of this start to happen. What can help is first of all, deep breathing. So when you find yourself getting into that hamster wheel place, I find that it helps first because our cognitive function is just offline at this point. We are in our amygdala. We're in fight or flight. We are not thinking with executive function at all. So during this time, what's helpful is to center ourselves and allow ourselves to get back into that executive function, back into our prefrontal cortex. I like to use a method called square breathing. Although any kind of deep breathing can be useful. So you can either sit and, you know, breathe in for as long as you can until your lungs can't, you know, take any more air and then breathe out slowly. You don't want to do it fast because you will hyperventilate. It will actually add to your anxiety. It will speed up your heart rate. We don't want to do that. We're also going to be lacking oxygen when we do that. So deep, slow breaths is what we want to do. With square breathing, what you do is you breathe in for a slow four count, hold it at the top for four slow counts, exhale for four slow counts, and then hold that exhale for four slow counts. And you just breathe in this square pattern that I envision in my head and do that until you feel centered and rooted and calm. What this is going to do is it's going to allow you to do the rest of these steps that will help you feel more present and more empowered throughout the process, okay? So start with that deep breathing exercise. And if that doesn't work for you, if your thoughts are going too crazy, go onto YouTube and look for guided meditations. Sometimes having a guided meditation that you can turn on, giving somebody else the wheel and being able to pay attention to what they're saying can help us quiet our thoughts and get back into our body and out of our heads where that hamster wheel is spinning. Now, after you've deep breathed and you've returned to the present, you've returned to a sense of safety, you feel embodied again, and your heart rate has slowed down and you feel more in control. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to reflect on why you're feeling the way that you do. And I use a bottom-up approach, but some people find a top-up approach really helpful. You might be able to ask yourself if you're doing the top, top-down top approach, um, you might be able to ask yourself, like, why am I feeling this way? And you might have that answer immediately. You might know exactly why you're feeling the way you do. And then you can move from there to your feelings. But I actually find that it's a lot easier to start with feelings because our feelings give us a physiological response. So when I'm feeling happy, my body responds in a certain way. When I'm feeling sad, my body responds in a certain way. And this is also true when I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling anxious. And so right now in this moment, while we're talking, I want you to go ahead and close your eyes as long as you're not driving, right? As long as you're not doing something where it would be dangerous to close your eyes. 
If you are, pause, come back to this later. But what I want you to do is I want you to take some quiet time. This is why the breathing is actually really helpful as it gets us into that quiet space and into that frame of mind where we can listen and tap into your body. What physiological responses are you feeling in your body? You have sweaty palms. Is your heart beating really fast? Do you just feel weight right here in the middle of your chest? Is it hard to swallow? Do you have a headache? Really scan your body from head to toe slowly and notice any sensations. Notice them without any judgment. What sensations do you feel in your body? So like right now, I'm still feeling a little nervous being here on camera. And so nervous for me feels like sweaty armpits. It feels like a kind of a tingling in my fingers. The tips of my fingers are extremely cold right now. I have like a little bit of a lump in my throat and a little bit of a like rock in my belly. So those are sort of the physiological responses. And I feel this kind of buzzing electricity going up and down my body. If I'm really paying attention, that one's really quiet, but I feel almost like a current going up and down my body. And honestly, right here, the back of my head, right at the crown of my head is a little tingly as well. So that's what nervousness feels like for me. Tap into yourself if you're feeling anxiety right now, or the next time you are feeling anxiety, do your deep breathing and then really pay attention to what's in your body. What do those sensations feel like? Notice how your body responds to anxiety, because what this is going to do is as you get in the practice of scanning your body, you're going to be able to label and pinpoint your emotions so much more quickly. So now, as soon as I get the sweaty armpits and the tingly cold fingers, I know I'm feeling nervous. I've been practicing this for almost 12 years now. And at the beginning, it was really difficult for me to tell what I was feeling, what I was experiencing, because I had been so dissociated from my body because of religious trauma, because of familial trauma and childhood trauma. I had been so dissociated that I um, was not very good at recognizing emotions. My emotions had to be really, really big for me to, to notice them, to know what they were saying to me. And even then, I didn't know what they were saying to me. I just knew that I was experiencing them when they were really big. So if I found myself yelling, shouting, shaking with rage, I knew I was angry. If I found myself laughing or, you know, laughing uncontrollably or hysterically, I knew I was happy or at least manic, right? Because there's a difference between those two. Or, you know, if I was crying, then I knew I was sad, but I couldn't feel those emotions until I had a big response to them. And so with practice, with body scanning, and I actually put reminders in my phone a few years ago so that I would get in the habit of scanning my body regularly throughout the day, you might find that that's really helpful for you too, especially during a time of high stress. Checking in with yourself, what am I feeling? Noticing the physiological responses and then asking yourself, does this have a name? Being able to tap in and know this is what my body is feeling. This is the name of that emotion. If you can't name your emotions, don't worry. 
actually getting onto Google, and I'll see if I can't find one and put one in the show notes, but getting onto Google and looking for an emotions map can be really helpful. That was an extremely helpful tool for me at the beginning to ask myself, you know, is this anger? And I would listen, like I would hear a yes or a no, this isn't anger. Okay. Is it something related to anger? No. Okay. Is this anxiety? Is this something related to fear? And just going through those emotion maps and looking at the different families of emotion and saying, is this something in the fear family? So am I terrified? Am I nervous? Am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling worried? What am I feeling? Being able to label our emotions gives us so much power over what we're experiencing. As humans, when we can wrap a language around something, then we can begin to make sense of it and we can begin to problem solve it. But before we can wrap language around it, it is unsolvable. We can't solve something we don't have language for. So sit with your emotions, allow yourself to feel what you're feeling without judgment. Just bring your curiosity to the table. Remember, your emotions are not good or bad. They just are. They're just information. They're just telling you what you're experiencing. So just a quick aside on how our emotions work. What happens is when we're experiencing something, our subconscious gets to work. It goes through all of the files of everything we've ever experienced, all of our stored memories, and it's connecting dots between things that have happened in the past that feel familiar to us. And because that is so much information and it would take so long for our subconscious to give that information to us, if it was to say, okay, here's this memory, this is what happened here, here's this memory, what it does is it kicks out a chemical output. So it it goes through all of that information, decides what that information means, and then it kicks out a chemical. And that chemical is what we experience as emotions. So what we're getting when we experience emotions is just output from our subconscious brain, telling us about our past, telling us about how our present relates to our past, helping us draw conclusions, helping us figure out what's best for us, what we don't like, what we do like, what we need in order to feel better. And it can only do its job if we're allowed to feel all of our emotions. So many of us were taught that certain emotions were not okay to feel, but essentially what we're doing when we can't feel certain emotions is we're taking away part of the language that our subconscious uses to communicate with us. So it would be like somebody coming to us and saying, you can communicate, but you can't use certain words. And we would stumble especially if those words were really key to communicating big ideas. Allowing yourself to feel all of your emotions is giving your subconscious the full language, the full breadth and depth of language it needs to communicate with you what you're experiencing, what you've experienced in the past, what you're worried about for the future, and what you need to do right now to keep yourself safe and sane. Allow yourself to feel all of them. There is no emotion that can hurt you. Okay. So all of our emotions, I think many of us were really worried we're going to be overcome by emotions and that they'll never go away, but that's not how emotions work. Emotions work like waves. They're messengers. So they come and they deliver a message. When we receive the message, then they recede and they go away. They've done their job. 
So the subconscious sends them to give a message to us and to make that conscious. And when we accept that, when we receive it, it delivers its message. We then take on the work with our conscious brain of figuring out what we want to do with that message. But once the messenger is delivered, it doesn't stick around anymore. It goes away. The only time our emotions stick around for long periods of time is when we are not able or willing to work through our emotions. So when we thought stop or when we emotion stop and we stuff things down or we mask or we tell ourselves that we're feeling something different or that we should be feeling something different, that's when the emotion is like, okay, you're not ready to receive this package. I'm going to go sit on the bench over here and I'll wait until you're ready to receive this package. Many of us right now are unpacking years of packages that were never able to be delivered. It can feel overwhelming when we're unpacking trauma because it's a whole slew of packages all at once. We talk about this in the Emancipate Yourself app in the course. I have two courses on there right now that actually deal with processing all of those stored emotions and allowing you to feel safe in your body again. Now, there's like 21, I think, lessons per um, course. But the people taking the course are telling me that these courses are so much information. They're so information dense that it is taking them, you know, some months to put these things into practice and really juice everything out of it. So there is so much information over there, plus a weekly coaching call that is part of the subscription. So you get weekly coaching and guidance along with a course that really takes you into this process of feeling safe unpacking all of the emotion that we might have stuffed throughout our childhood and early adulthood. So if that is something that feels really overwhelming to you, allowing yourself to feel because you're worried that once you allow yourself to feel, it'll just bring all the emotions up. I actually talk about that in the app and it has been incredibly helpful for a lot of the people that are on the app and using that right now. So First, what we're going to do is we deep breathe. Remember, the second thing is to get curious about our feelings. What are we feeling? What we're going to do then is we're going to then trace it up to our thoughts. So maybe you decide, okay, I'm feeling fear. Now what we do is we get curious with the fear. We ask it questions. What is causing this fear? And let's say it says, oh, the war in Ukraine. You can peel back that onion and really get to what you're afraid of. So I'm going to take you through my process because the war in Ukraine was incredibly triggering for me. Um, it brought up a lot of fear and I'll just kind of take you through my process. So I noticed I was feeling fear just in my daily tapping in. I kept noticing fear was there. Now it wasn't huge fear. It was like a small seed of fear that was just constantly in the back of my mind, constantly in my body. I was just noticing this kind of low-key anxiety every single time I would check in. So I started getting curious with it. And I like to close my eyes, go to a quiet place when all my kids are at school, my husband's at work. I like to put my hands on my heart to remind myself I'm here to be a friend, not a judge. So I put my hands on my heart and I tap in and I talk to the fear like it's a friend because all of your emotions are trying to inform you. They're trying to keep you safe. They're trying to tell you what you need in order to feel safe and calm and peaceful, what you need in order to like reduce the stress in your life. 
And so I put my hands on my heart and I tap in and I talk to my fear like a friend and I say, hey, I see you there. Like, I've noticed you've been here for a while. Can you tell me what you're afraid of? And for me, the war in Ukraine is what came up. Like, I'm really afraid of the war in Ukraine. And I said, okay, so that's valid. You get to feel afraid. But help me understand why that feels really scary for you, considering the war in Ukraine is way over there and we're way over here. There's no one bombing. There's no one doing anything like that right here. In this moment, I'm safe. So tell me what you're afraid of. And from there, my fear, as I asked it more questions and made safe space for it, told me all about worrying about, you know, our country going to war. It told me about the anxiety I feel about, you know, what this means for jobs, for food, for our economy, for the environment. There were a lot of things that came up. On top of that, there were some shame messages that I uncovered underneath the anxiety about why did this matter to me more than, say, some of the other wars that are going on in the world. It kind of pointed me to some places where maybe I need to do some work and get curious and allowing myself to sit with that, that I feel guilty or I even maybe feel ashamed that I haven't paid this much attention. So just getting curious with that and making space for curiosity for any of that guilt or shame that's coming up. And then also just the exhaustion and the grief because our society has changed a lot in the last two years. So underneath that was even some exhaustion and some grief that I was able to get curious with. And so now that I knew what was going on underneath the surface, now I can sit with each of these emotions, talk with them, make safe space for them, allow them to say what they need to say so that I can move on to the next steps. So one of the next steps is focusing on what you can control. And this one's really hard because we've talked about negativity bias. Remember, our brains are genetically wired to keep us alive and to have us feel the least amount of pain possible. This means it does some really, really crazy things. It focuses on the negative more than it focuses on the positive. Because looking at the negative, our brain is thinking will keep us safe more than focusing on the positive. And so when we're in times of high stress, when we're in times of overwhelm, our brains are ruminating on all the uncertainty and all the negativity and all the things that often we can't control trying to protect us. And I'm looking over to the side because I've got my notes over here, but this is so weird on video. It is so weird because I'm so used to being in my closet and no one can see me look at my notes, but now I'm like, oh yeah, you can see me. You can see me look at my notes. But what happens is when we're focusing on all of these negative things, it actually multiplies our anxiety. So maybe our anxiety is that little, little hint that's in the background, but the more we spin our wheels and get on that hamster wheel in our brain, the more we're focusing on all the things we can't control and we're ruminating on all of the negativity what happens is we really get into this anxious, powerless, even kind of hopeless state. And so if you're feeling fear or anxiety, 
really allow yourself to tap into what is the root of your worry? Like what is the main fear? So for me earlier, I was telling you that, you know, I was worried about what this would do to the economy. I was worried, like my main fears were what's going to happen to the economy. What does that mean for my family, for our future? What does that mean for our kids? What does that mean for having a roof over our heads? What does that mean for having food? I have to tell you that this past two years have really made me have to confront the indoctrination that I think many of us received from high demand religion about the end of times, about the apocalypse, about, you know, the world burning before Jesus comes again. And it's an irrational phobia. It's actually something I'm studying. I can't wait to do a podcast on phobias, but I am not there yet. I cannot find research on confronting religious phobias. And so I'm having to research other things and I'm having to get curious, but just know that is in the pipeline. And as soon as I feel like I have a good grasp on that, I'll be bringing it to you. But I've really had to confront the phobias of this is the end of times. And I've seen a lot of that on social media from still believing people. I've actually heard it from clients talking about what if this is the end? What if this is prophecy being fulfilled? What if, and so you've got that like, irrational fear underneath of this is the end. Even though logically I can look at things and say, this has happened throughout all of history and humanity has survived. We've always had war. There has always been unrest. Every hundred years or so we have a global pandemic. This is something humanity has faced before and it has never ended with the world burning and with Jesus coming back again. Now, if you believe in that, you're absolutely welcome to believe in that. But for me, speaking to myself in that way has been incredibly helpful because I don't believe in that. I don't believe that a loving God would burn the entire earth and only save a handful. Like that doesn't sound like a loving parent to me. And so speaking to myself in that way has really, really helped and allowing myself to think about the kind of God that I could be close to and what that would look like and what healthy love would look like and what, um, you know, a healthy parent would look like has allowed me to really talk rationally to my irrational fears. However, that doesn't mean those fears have gone away. So as I've been focusing on what I can control first, I'm, you know, acknowledging my emotions and tracing those thoughts up to, my brain, what thoughts are going on in the background? What's that hamster wheel saying? And often it is the sort of apocalyptic um, end of times kind of thoughts and feelings. And for Mormons, we're taught to prepare for that by having a huge food storage, guns possibly, um, just reading your scriptures like crazy. So there's a lot of behaviors and things that are tied into the end of times and the end of days. And so it's, <laughs> there's just all this stuff that goes around. So getting really clear on what is the anxiety, what is the worry is the first step. And then what are some of the things I can actually control? So once I have identified the worry even if that worry is a phobia, I can sit with it. I can calm it because that's my inner child. 
I can sit with it and I can say, Hey, I know you were told that this is a really scary time and your fear is valid. It's okay for you to be afraid. And the next step to focusing on what you can control is basically you're creating a plan with this inner child that's been indoctrinated. And I found that this works really well for me with my end of times, apocalyptic, Jesus is coming again, sort of indoctrination that pops up during uncertainty, which I know it has for many of us, you know, during these uncertain times, the last couple of years, understanding that that indoctrinated part of myself was indoctrinated before I could think logically, before I could think rationally, before I could critically think. So I sit with that part of myself and say, hey, and I imagine this part of myself is like a five to six-year-old child. And I sit down with this part of myself and just say, hey, I know you were told that really scary things are coming. And I know this has been really scary for you your entire life. And that gets to be okay. You get to feel afraid. You get to feel what you feel. And as the adult Terry, and I know this sounds really hokey for several of you who have never done inner child work, but it really has worked for me. Feel free to use it if it sounds appealing to you or discard it if it doesn't sound appealing to you. But I just say, hey, as adult Terry, this is my plan for how I'm going to keep us safe. And so I sit down and ask, what is in my power to control? What plan can I make to keep myself safe or to pick myself back up if the worst happens? So I ask myself, what is the worst that could happen? Is it rational? Is that likely to happen? So, you know, is the whole world likely to burn and Jesus come again? Probably not from my point of view. Again, you are allowed to believe whatever you want to believe. You know, as long as it is supporting you, believe it, please, by all means. And for me, it brings a lot of fear for me to believe in those things. And so I sit with myself and I say, okay, probably not. That's probably not going to happen. Now, is there a chance that there could be a food shortage or that there could be financial issues around the bend or that gas prices might get astronomical? Maybe, right? That's within the realm of possibility. So what can I do to make a plan to prepare myself should that happen? I sit down and once you make a plan for the worst case scenario, so often we try to avoid the thing that we're really afraid of, becoming homeless, losing our family, um, somebody dying. We try to avoid thinking about those things, thinking that it will keep us safe, but that anxiety just stays in the back of our mind. And so opening ourselves up to thinking, what am I really afraid of? What is that worst case thing that I'm really afraid of? Is it likely to happen? If there is a chance that it's going to happen, then what can I do? What's in my power to control? What can I do to keep myself safe or at least know that I'll survive this? What is my plan should the worst happen? And knowing that we have a plan eases that anxiety because fear's job isn't just to like psych you out. A lot of us in Western society, especially in like 20th, 21st century culture, we've been taught that fears the enemy, that fears like this thing that's just there to psych us out and keep us from being successful. But it's not. Fear is actually there as a friend. It's there to point out things that could be a problem for our survival. It's 
there to point out things that maybe we're overlooking. It's there to point out things that, you know, that, that, that could be problems for us in, in the future. And so allowing ourselves to talk with fear and then to make a plan, I call this making a parachute with fear. So I like to envision it as if I'm in a plane and I'm about to go skydiving with fear and fear is freaking out. Like it sounded like kind of a good idea to fear before we got in the plane, but we got up to like 20,000 feet or however far you go with skydiving. I've never been skydiving, but we're there. Fear's freaking out. Fear's fear is starting to freak me out. And I talk with fear and say, what are you afraid of? what's the worst that could happen here? And they tell me. And so we build a parachute, we build a safety net, we build something that helps fear know that they can get to the ground safely, regardless. Even though we're jumping out of the plane, we don't know what's going to happen. We're building not only a parachute, but like a secondary parachute. We're building those things so that fear can be like, okay, chances of survival are pretty good here. That's what we're doing whenever we're feeling all of this anxiety And we're feeling overwhelmed and there's so many things going on and they all feel like they're out of our control. We focus on what we can control. Okay, I can't control the war over in Ukraine. I can't control all of the crazy stuff going on with, you know, the ecosystems. I can't control what our government does. I can vote, but that's about it. I can advocate online. I can reach out to people that are affected by legislation, but I can't control what's happening in Florida and Texas because I don't even vote there. So what can I control? Well, I can control educating myself and my kids. I can control reaching out to my friends who are affected and letting them know that they're not alone. I can fund things that will make the world a better place. I can you know, prepare, I can create a financial reserve, even if it's just a few cents every month, even that little bit, let's say all I have is a dollar I can put towards feeling like I'm preparing for the future and have some sort of financial reserve, just the act of moving a dollar over into an account that is for a rainy day, just knowing we're putting something away can help ease anxiety. If you're really worried about what will happen in the future. So what can you control? Focus on that. Make a plan. Make a parachute with fear. Make that backup parachute with fear. Help yourself understand what you can do to prepare for that. Should it ever happen? What is your plan? But also, if the worst happens, how will you react? And allow yourself to show yourself that you've got your back, that you're going to get back up, that you've got a plan to get yourself out of tough situations, that you can trust yourself. That's really what this is about. Is it the conversation between your inner child and your adult self where your adult is saying, hey, I've got you. I'm a responsible person who has got you. And no matter what happens, we're going to figure this out together. This is my plan right now. This is what I'm going to do if that plan doesn't work. And we will keep trying things on and figuring it out and we will survive for as long as we possibly can. I'm not just going to roll over and give up and I'm not going to just not pay attention to your fear. I hear you. You're valid. This is what the plan is. So now you can calm down. And it really has helped, at least for me, has really helped me feel at least more prepared, more grounded, more able to face 
whatever it is that's coming. It's allowed me to roll with the punches a little bit better. So when I notice the hamster wheel, I deep breathe, I drop in and I feel, I trace those feelings up to the thoughts that are creating them. And I sit with those thoughts and I ask myself, are they rational or are they irrational? If they're irrational, I usually like reason with them and, you know, choose to let them go. Like this just doesn't make sense. But if they're rational, then I sit with them and I make a plan with them of how I'm going to deal with them and what my plan is to keep myself safe in the first place. And if that doesn't work, my next parachute, what would I do if the worst actually did happen? And how would I pick myself back up? And how would I take care of us? The step after that is to take a break. And this is something that I actually see a lot of my clients really struggle with. I struggled with this. Daily breaks in self-care are not something we celebrate in Western society. We celebrate productivity. And so it is really difficult sometimes for us to feel like we're allowed to step away from the work, that we're allowed to turn off for a little while, that we're allowed to turn off the news, that we're allowed to turn off social media, that we're allowed to turn off our deconstruction process for a bit. If you've been deconstructing religious trauma, and it is overwhelming, and it's causing you anxiety, and you feel like you're obsessed, it is okay for you to make a conscious decision of, you know, for the next day, for the next week, for the next month, I'm not doing that. I'm going to put it in a box. It'll be there when I am ready to open it back up again, but I am taking a conscious break from doing the work because I need to rest and take care of myself. I find that this is easier when we understand that our worth is not tied to our productivity. Our worth is inherent. It's inside of us. It can't be taken from us. You don't have to heal to a certain extent in order to be worthy of love and belonging. You don't have to create a certain output in order to be worthy of love and belonging. You are worthy, which means you get to rest and recuperate and relax. You don't have to prove your worth. Now, these rests and breaks can be as long or as short as you want them to be. With ongoing trauma, like things that were happening in the pandemic, what's going on politically, all of that with ongoing trauma, it can help to take little short breaks throughout the day. So if you have a one minute mindfulness practice that you do several times a day, or if you have a 15-minute stretch break that you take at work, or some kind of daily ritual. My youngest son hates that word. Some kind of daily routine, ritual or routine, whichever word works for you, where you can calm yourself, care for yourself, move your body. It can be so helpful. Allow yourself to turn off anything that is bringing you anxiety for a while, you're allowed to take a break. So you can turn off the family chat if you need to. You can turn off your notifications from a certain website if they're freaking you out. Allow yourself to take the break, get recentered, feel anchored into the present because right now in this moment, you're safe. Your needs are met. You're alive. So anything we can do to bring ourselves back to the present, anything we can do to remind ourselves that right now in this moment, things might not be good, they might not be great, 
but they're good enough. We're alive. We're well, we're healthy. We're, we have enough money to feed ourselves, to put a roof over our head. Our kids are doing okay. Whatever it is you need to tell yourself right now in this moment, I'm surviving and I'm okay. Bringing yourself back to this present moment where the worst hasn't happened because anxiety happens in the future. Anxiety is what we're worried will happen. Bringing ourselves back to the present allows us to ground in that thing hasn't happened yet. And right now in this moment, I'm okay. I was actually really impressed with the residents of Ukraine as I've watched them do this in the middle of a war. They're in the middle of being bombed and I'm watching them. I'm watching people sing. I'm watching them dance. I'm watching them hold each other and hug each other and take moments to breathe and appreciate that they're alive right now in this moment. Is the threat real? Yes. Could the worst happen? It's a possibility. But right now in the moment, they're safe. They're all right. So allowing ourselves to do the same with our own trauma, which is different, but the same. Trauma can be different, comes from different sources, but it's the same. Allowing ourselves to really root into in this moment, I'm okay, can really help us move forward with more resilience. The next one we're going to talk about, this next step to dealing with overwhelm and anxiety is play. And I know some of you are like, I'm sorry, what? Like play is for kids, work is for adults. That's what we've been told. And it's absolutely not true. The research has actually shown that play builds resiliency and it reduces anxiety. This is where we're really getting into Dr. Stuart Brown and Madeline Eberl's um, research. They have found that play produces calm. If you are looking for calm, if you need that hamster wheel to stop, deep breathing and mindfulness are fantastic, especially when coupled with play and movement. Now, what is play? I think a lot of us, whenever we hear play, we think of what our kids do. We think of going to a playground. We think of playing a sport. We think of, um, you know, playing Candyland or one of those kid games, right? We think of doing kid things, building blanket forts, all of that. We think of it as a very juvenile thing, but that is a very narrow definition of play. And I think that's why a lot of adults actually avoid it because we no longer enjoy those things. They don't feel like play to us anymore. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But Dr. Brown and Ms. Eberl have said that play is purposeless, so there is no productivity. We're not trying to be productive with whatever it is we're doing. It's voluntary. It's something we want to do. And it's pleasurable. It's fun to us. It lifts us up. I like something that Brene Brown said. She said, this is a thing that you could do for a long time. You lose track of time whenever you're doing it. So I want you to think to yourself, what are things like that, that are not necessarily productive, are things you actually want to do, and they're pleasurable? And when you're done with them, I find that this is a very big point that I'm going to put in here. I haven't seen this in the research. You feel refreshed when you're done. So scrolling mindlessly on social media might be purposeless, 
I'm doing it voluntarily. And in the moment, it might feel pleasurable, but at the end, I feel drained. I don't feel replenished. However, if I'm in the kitchen and I'm creating some fluff dessert or a new recipe that I've never tried before, that can be play for me. Painting can be play for me. Digging in the dirt, whether I'm gardening or not, just getting my hands dirty can be play for me. Being out in nature, going on a hike, honestly, laying in the grass, looking at the clouds, finding pictures in the clouds can be play for me. Now, the crazy thing is what's play for me might not be play for you. And what's play for you might not be play for me. So I have friends that really enjoy number games and like crunching numbers and figuring things out and like the mind puzzles. I don't really enjoy that. I have a child that really enjoys writing as a play exercise, writing things like stories down about like war and about, you know, what happened in World War II. He writes like alternate histories of what happened in World War II and creates new worlds and new languages. That feels like play to him. That doesn't feel like play to me. I have another child that, you know, really enjoys playing with Legos and building things and putting things together with Legos. That doesn't really feel like play to me. So figure out what feels like play to you. Dancing feels like play to me. Find out what lights you up, what's something you could do for hours without realizing that you're doing it for hours. Now, I do find that when it says it's purposeless, that can get a little muddy because there are things that I do as play that do have some sort of finished product, but I didn't do the task to create the finished product. I did the task for the experience. And the way that I get to be when I'm having the experience. So there are times that I cook where it very much feels like work. And there are times that I cook where it feels like play. So just paying attention to, am I doing this because it's work or am I doing this because it's play? Usually it's play whenever I'm getting to do something new, when I'm getting to try a new recipe, when no one is waiting at the dinner table for me to get food on the table. Um, It's just for me. I'm just getting to play with ingredients, see how things taste. I'm actually getting ready to start um, foraging. So it's almost foraging season. I love being out in nature and I love cooking. And so foraging wild edibles feels like play for me. It feels like I'm going on an adventure, kind of like I did whenever I was a kid. We used to go out into the woods next to my house and we would pretend like we were pirates and we would look for treasures, rocks and leaves and all kinds of things. This feels like that for me. I'm going and I'm looking for wild edible food. I'm cutting it. I get to like figure out how I'm going to carry it home there. It feels like play in the future. Could it feel like work? Possibly circumstances change. In fact, play can mean something different based on our circumstances, based on our age, our culture, and a whole lot of other things. So what feels like play to you right now might not feel like play to you five years from now. What felt like play to you as a child may no longer interest you, and that gets to be okay. So just tap into yourself and ask yourself, what do I love to do? What do I lose time doing? Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's a board game. Maybe it's, you know, playing basketball. Who knows? 
tap in and figure out what do I lose time when I'm doing it? And I feel completely refreshed whenever I'm done. I love doing it. It's voluntary. And it's not because of the purpose. You might actually produce something, but it's not because you're trying to produce something. It's because of the experience of getting to do that thing. They have found that the more we can play, the more present and in the moment we will be and the more content we will feel. And all of that boosts our well-being. So the more we can play right now, as we're deconstructing religious harm, as we're dealing with political mayhem, as we're dealing with environmental factors, as we're dealing with economic factors, as we're dealing with possibility of worldwide war, allowing ourselves to play becomes incredibly important. Allowing ourselves to find things that are enjoyable will calm us, keep us more present, and allow us to better tackle whatever the future may hold. Next up is receiving physical touch. So there are two studies here. One was a 2017 study by Brett Jakubiak and Brooke Feeney, and they found that touch can reduce stress and promote overall well-being. And I think we all know that, right? When we were kids and we were hurt, we needed a hug or a kiss from our parents in order to help us feel better. Nothing has really changed. We can reach out to a friend. We can reach out to a significant other, even our own kids, and just say, hey, I need a hug. And ask for someone to give us that hug or that physical touch that we need in order to calm our nervous systems and allow us to go into a state of rest. That physical touch helps tell our bodies that we're safe. We're safe here. We're safe right now in the moment. Another study in 2016 was by a whole team of researchers in Brazil. They actually found that massage and Reiki can also help lower stress and anxiety. So if you don't have a friend or a loved one, if a lot of your community is gone and there's no one you feel comfortable saying, hey, could I have a hug? Going and getting a massage or going and having a Reiki session can also help reduce the stress and anxiety because of physical touch. And then last, if after doing all of these things, you still find that you have persistent overwhelm and anxiety, seek professional help, seek therapy. So anxiety disorders are actually really common and a therapist can help you get to the bottom of those things, talk through them, prescribe medication, if that's something that would be useful to you. And all of that is so helpful. It's so helpful to have somebody help you pick through what you're feeling and allow you to feel safe and comfortable in your skin and up in your head as well. Now, before we end, I'm actually just going to touch really quickly on something that I actually hear from a lot of my clients, which is survivor's guilt. Many, many, many of us have a hard time feeling calm when we know that other people are having a hard time. And that can include people that we've never met before. So we may feel like we don't deserve to be happy or safe or successful or alive or loved when other people are not feeling that same thing, when other people are in danger or when other people have died. And we can actually sabotage our own safety and our own happiness and our own sense of calm and peace because other people are feeling that way. And I think what's at the heart of this, according to Ellen Henriksen, she says, we believe 
that if we suffer too, then the world is somehow more balanced. It comes down to a question of fairness or justness of the world. And so we think that we're somehow evening the balances that if we're suffering too, that it makes it more fair for them to suffer because we can't handle the idea that there is randomness in the world or uncertainty in the world that, you know, things happen simply because they happen and that there's no reason. And I find that for many of us who came from high demand religion, that was one of the things we found appealing about our high demand religion was that everything had a purpose. God had a plan. It might feel unfair, but somehow he would, or she would, or they would make it all more fair on the back end. And that in heaven, things would all be evened out and there would be no winners and no losers. And I think we really like that idea of knowing that everything has a purpose. And I think it's really difficult for us as humans to accept that some things are random and some things are uncertain. And I find that when we're not able to accept that sometimes bad things happen and sometimes no one's at fault and that there might not be a fairness in that, then we resort to either self-sabotage, trying to even things out by bringing ourselves into a place of harm, or we might try to take responsibility for things that are not our responsibility because it makes us feel like we have a little bit of a sense of control. So if something just happened, but I take control, if I decide that I'm the guilty party, if I decide that somehow I'm to blame, then it numbs the more scary emotions underneath that guilt or that shame. So if we're taking all the responsibility and all the guilt, then we don't have to confront our powerlessness or our helplessness or our grief underneath. And that was something that was really shocking for me to read is that sometimes we take on responsibility for other people's stuff and we take the blame because then we don't have to confront the uncertainty. We don't have to confront the powerlessness or the helplessness that we feel or the grief that we feel underneath it all. Those things make us feel really uncertain and it feels really scary. And so instead we take on the guilt. A couple things I want to remind all of us, if we're feeling some survivor's guilt, is that we can handle sadness and loss. As we learn to hold our emotions, not only do we learn that we're capable of much more joy and calm and peace than we ever thought possible, but we also realize we can trust ourselves to deal with really difficult emotions and that emotions will come and go, that they're not here forever, and that we can deal with difficult feelings. We also learn how we can best deal with these feelings. Maybe we're a person who likes to be very loud about it. And we need to scream and cry. Maybe we're a person who likes to journal, or maybe we're a person that just likes to be left alone while we process difficult things. And all of that gets to be okay. And we get to hold ourselves in the way that we need to. And the second thing I want to talk about is that we can use those feelings in order to channel us to action. Just like we were talking about earlier, we can decide what do I have control over? What do I have power over? And we can focus our efforts and our energy on what we do have control over and make a difference in the world and in our own lives in that way. 
Now, just a word of caution, we've just come off of talking a lot about codependency. It can be really tempting whenever we're feeling powerless, whenever we're feeling like there's chaos in the world, whenever we're feeling overwhelmed or stressed, it can be really tempting when we're uncertain to go back to old patterns of codependency. So if we're going to get into old patterns at any time, it's when we're afraid and when we're uncertain. And right now in the world, it can be really easy to feel afraid and uncertain, and that is valid, but do pay attention to your patterns. So if you are starting to take on other people's pain and make it your own, remember that's codependency. If you're serving others at the detriment to yourself, that's codependency. Or if you're serving as a way to validate your existence, to like make yourself feel worthy of love and belonging, also codependent. So get curious with those things. There's no shame about that. You learn those patterns to get your needs met. And right now, whenever we're feeling uncertain, whenever we're feeling afraid, remember our inner child is basically just like really taking up a lot of space inside of us. So it makes sense that you would go back to childhood patterns. Just get curious with them, allow space for them, figure out what you want to do with them. The more we can be aware of them, the more control we have over what we decide to do. So we might notice that we want to get into codependency and instead acknowledge it, recognize it, and choose something that is both healthy for us and for the people that we're trying to serve. So I hope that this episode was helpful for you. Researching this was really helpful for me. It really allowed me to kind of check on the parachutes I had already created with my fear and check in and see if they were still working or if they had some holes in them that I needed to look at. Did I need to build a new parachute? Did I need to patch up the holes? It also allowed me to really look at where maybe I was feeling codependent or where I was moving into a shame response with my fear. So not just feeling kind of uncertain and anxious about what was going on in the world, but also really ashamed that I wasn't better or showing up better or doing more or making the world a better place. That is something that I can get into. That's a pattern I can get into. You might have similar patterns. Um, It also reminded me that I have all the tools that I need to get through really difficult times and that I have the power to take a break if I need to and to play if I need to, that my health is important because when I'm healthy, remember we talked about this at the beginning, when I'm healthy, when I'm centered, when I'm grounded, when I'm able to love and accept myself, then not only do I feel healthier with myself, but it affects everyone in my sphere of influence. When I am grounded, I am much better able to show up to do the difficult work in all the other aspects of life. I'm able to make sure that I am present for difficult conversations. I can hear people so much better without it triggering me. So it is an act of service when we take care of ourselves. It does make the world a better place. It's not either we take care of them or we take care of us. That's a codependent idea. It has to be a win-win. So it's I take care of you and I take care of me. There is a space for all of us to get the care and the love and the help that we need in order to get through these stressful times. I would love to hear from you on the Facebook group. Please tell me what you thought about this episode, anything that stood out to you, anything that was really helpful, anything you need clarified. 
please bring that over to the Facebook group. We're having some great discussions over there. Lots of new people added. We're getting, I think we're like at 175, something like that, 180 maybe. It's between there. We've had a lot of people join. So we've got almost 200 people in the group and we are having all kinds of great conversations. Right now, we're actually picking apart um, the difference between conditional and unconditional love and are really starting to discover that mm, maybe those two words are not the only two words to use about this concept. So if you want to join some of these discussions, this is where I'm actually putting out some ideas, getting people's feedback, um, really like getting us all to think, including myself. This is not just another place where I disseminate information. It is a place where I start conversations and we say, hey, this is what the research is saying, but neither of this sounds healthy to me. What do you think? What has your life experience been? What would be healthy for you? And it allows me to really get creative and start looking for those resources that will help me really like understand what's going on and be able to bring that to you in the podcast. So if you want to be a part of that process or you just want to, you know, deconstruct more of what you're going through, have a community that you can talk to about it. It is a safe space for all people that are deconstructing, whether you stay in your church of origin, but you do it with a healthier sense of self and more critical thinking or all the way over to, you know, changing religions um, becoming atheist, becoming a secular humanist, becoming Wiccan, um, a Buddhist, uh, Muslim, all are welcome. This is not just a Christian space. It's not just an atheist space. It is a space for all people who are deconstructing, who are looking to understand themselves better and are seeking community. And if you want to be a part of how this podcast evolves, that is the space to do it because that's where we're having these deep conversations where I'm saying, hey, I see the research is saying this, and I see the research is saying this, and neither of these feel healthy. This is what feels healthy to me, but there's no word for that. What would you guys call that? So that was our conversation today. I would love to have you as part of that conversation. So feel free to go over to the Emancipate Yourself Facebook group. It's a free group. You can join the conversations. Um, If you do find that you would like help, processing trauma, unpacking all of those emotions, learning how to identify them, feel through them and feel safe in your body again, please go look at the Emancipate Yourself app. It is on the Apple Apps page. It is also on Google Play. You can find them in both places. Go download the app. The first seven days is free. It's on me. I want to make sure that you are really happy with what you're seeing there. That'll allow you to come to one of the live calls as well. So please go over and check out the Emancipate Yourself app and um, feel free to join us on this journey. We have a handful of people that are using the courses, getting some big results. I'm hearing some great things from them, and we would love to have you be part of that process and part of that journey. We've made it as affordable as possible for people to have a monthly subscription and allow us to continue making courses and really helping you deconstruct whether you live close to a therapist or you do not live close to a therapist, whether you're close to a coach or you're not, whether you can afford, you know, the hundreds of dollars it costs per hour to have a therapist or not. It's not meant to replace therapy. There is something about one-to-one therapy that really can't be duplicated with an app, but it's meant to get you started and to help you start learning about yourself, unpacking trauma, getting your questions answered so that 
when and if you do decide to go to therapy, you know exactly what you need help with and how to describe that to a therapist, hopefully a trauma-informed therapist. So how to describe that and how to get the support that feels right for you. So I'm finding that several people are really loving the app, whether it's in conjunction with a therapist or on its own. Um, It's given them lots of insight, lots of wisdom, lots of daily tools to help themselves and exercises that are helping them dig down and do that work themselves. So I would love to see you over there. I would love to see you on our Monday calls and um, get to hear your voice and get to talk with you. If you're worried about anonymity, our calls are always with video off and on the recording. All anyone can ever see is my face. Um, But I do ask people to unmute themselves and speak if that's something you feel comfortable doing so that I can coach you voice to voice and actually um, help you figure out what your best next steps are in your life and what you want to do moving forward. So really look forward to seeing you there. And I think that's it. We did it. Our very first YouTube podcast um, where you get to see me. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I was really nervous. The sweaty armpits have gone away. My fingers are still a little cold, but the tingling has gone away. Yeah, I'm feeling into it. Most of my nervousness went away. After a while, this actually was good. I almost kind of felt like I was talking to you and um, much better than sitting in my closet talking to my clothing. So we'll be doing this as often as I'm able. Like I said, as long as my kids are not running around and I'm able to do this, I will be doing this. Um, I might get a little iffy over the summer holidays. Who knows? Maybe I'll send them to the playground. I mean, they're older kids. They're preteens and teens. Maybe I'll send them to the playground to play with friends for an hour, hour and a half so I can record And I'll be able to do this throughout the summer as well. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to getting to know you. We are actually looking into doing some live sessions, um, which will be really, really fun. I'm talking with Bill Real of Mormon Discussions, and we're looking at ways for me to be able to podcast, I guess, in some ways and answer questions live um, and put those on YouTube and just make more content for you. And again, Don't forget, if this is something that you want to support, you want to see more of me, you want more content, you want me to be able to research more full time, um, please go to uh, emancipateyourmind.org and click the donate button because that's going to allow me to really focus more of my time here on the podcast and the information that I am gathering and bringing to you and make this more a focus of my work so that I can help more people. And Yeah, I appreciate you. I love, love all the ways that you've influenced the podcast, the questions that you ask, your comments, the ways that you're telling me the podcast has helped you, um, places where you disagree, all of it. Such good information. Love hearing from you. So grateful for you. And I will see you next week. Bye, everyone.